0: shall we pray together father i i I simply pray that you would bless this word and that you would be with us in this moment and that you would speak to us life and joy in your name amen amen Amen. Amen. wonderful so nehemiah nine and ten today which is going to become clear in just a moment if you haven't been up to the uh is the microphone on no okay there we go um if you haven't uh, been with us up to this point we have been following the story of nehemiah who has been bringing the people back physically to jerusalem and making them safe within the walls of the city and bringing them back spiritually to God. And Nehemiah 1 to 6 is basically Nehemiah dealing with the walls and then 7 onwards to 12 is Nehemiah's attention turning to the spiritual life of the people. The physical reality of the city was not enough for Nehemiah. He needed to see the spiritual renewal happen within the hearts of God's people. And so last week we looked at Nehemiah 8 where we had Ezra bringing out the book and the power of God was unleashed amongst the community and there is this spiritual awakening that happens. And then what we have is this um, moment in Nehemiah 9 where the people respond to the word of God with prayer. And they turn from their sin and their wayward lives back to God and they make this covenant that they would live with God in a brand new and fresh way according to God's moral code and not their own wayward hearts. And so you get this long exposition, this rich prayer, and then them leading into this decision to say, we are going to covenant with God to come back to him, we are going to repent from our old ways and lay ourselves before God's. And these these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, they're they're an amazing spiritual awakening among the people of God. It's, It's a high point in Israel's history. Israel at this point, before this moment, they were spiritually essentially numb to the glories of God and suddenly they hear the word of God afresh and they realize who God is again and they turn their lives around. They were spiritually empty at one point and now they enter chapter 9 and 10 with this spiritual fullness. So they were blind at one point and now as John Newton says, I can see. And there is this incredible spiritual awakening that happens that I would suggest for many people in London today is actually quite an attractive proposition. So I think if you were speak, speaking to most people today, they would say, hey, would you like to be spiritually full? I'd say yes, yeah, sh- yeah, sure. Like, I might not be Christian, I might be Buddhist, I might be something else, I might be whatever, but yeah, I would like to be spiritually full in my inner being. Say, would you like to have spiritual eyes to see things in the spiritual? Yeah, I would like. Would you like to have like a, a, a spiritual spark in you that feels alive every day? And you think, yes. But what we read about in 9 and 10 is this, that... If you are actually going to have a true spiritual awakening of your heart, if you are going to live with spiritual fullness with authenticity, you cannot divorce spirituality from morality. Because what most of London, I would suggest want is spirituality without any objective morality. It, London's filled with people searching for things, isn't it? I mean I look there's like 14 plus types of yoga that you can do, around the, off- around the corner from the offices where we work there is hot yoga down below, that's happening all the time, people are pursuing church halls, community halls, town halls, like courses you can go on to tap med- meditation mindfulness etc all the ways in which we're trying to tap into our spiritual selves but it is twinned with this extreme individualism that also says no one can tell me what to do with my life i can do anything i like as long as it doesn't hurt anyone so it's this sense in which i can pursue spirituality without any sense of morality And what we read in Nehemiah here is that if you are going to pursue a spiritual life with authenticity, it is actually going to be matched with a morality based around what God says about life. And this is what happens in this moment. There is a spiritual awakening and suddenly they realize that their lives do not align with God's reality. And so they are coming back to God in these moments. And it's even more so for us as a church because the church has been explicitly called out to be different. And as a teenager, I struggled with this idea. Because I kind of came back to God at like 17, 18. I began to read the Bible for myself for the first time. But I I had this tension where I still kind of wanted God, but I did not want to be any different to my friends. And so I tried to bring these two things together until it dawned on me, kind of in my mid-20s, after years of struggling with trying to be both and, I realized that I cannot do it. If I am with Jesus, I am with him wholeheartedly and that makes me fundamentally different and we're called to be that Jesus says this he says I've given them the church your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world I do not ask that you take me take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one says they, Trinity Church London, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, caveat here, some Christians take that to mean like you can't dress normally and you can't talk normally and you've got to be like slightly weird in conversation. It's nothing to do with that. What he is saying is as Christians, as the church, what makes us tick has to be fundamentally different to what makes the world tick. So we might look the same, talk the same. There might be, for example, two lawyers going to work and they may, from the externals, look the same. But one who is a Christian is going to work fundamentally for different reasons than one who isn't following Christ we are not of the world even though we embed our lives in the things of this city and we are called to be different and so if we as a church try and divorce spirituality from morality we will continually just look exactly the same sound the same be motivated by the same things and it can happen in church it is possible in the best of churches for us to say with our lips that Jesus we want to be filled with you we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit and yet throughout our life we are watching dodgy things on our computer we are gossiping about people at the workplace as though we can be spiritually filled and not living in line with God's will for our life If we're going to live authentic lives that are actually filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to have a morality added to it. If we want this, there's going to be moments where we have to change, repent, come back round God's words. Mike is at school now, and um, one of the fun things about being a dad is that you get to make friends with Like all sorts of interesting people, because Micah's friends' parents, but kind of become your friends, or like you walk with them back and forwards from work and from school, feels like work. School, and um, and I've just got to know this. This one guy is fascinating. He's telling me he works with like governments overseas, and he's working with the Nigerian government at the moment, um, getting controlled environment agricultural systems together. So I asked him about this. He says greenhouses yeah greenhouses but controlled environment agricultural sense sounds a lot better but basically working to build um, environments whereby things can grow when they struggle out in the normal environment and building like it's a great thing economy jobs around it etc and he's just telling me, you know, you, you, you build these infrastructures and you build these kind of um, in greenhouses, let's just call them greenhouses, and so that things can grow in these greenhouses that can't grow out in the world. And I was just reflecting on that. I think actually that's very close to what the church is to be spiritually, that there are things that should be able to grow in this community that cannot grow out in the harshness of the environment of London there is a type of love that should be able to grow in the greenhouse of this spiritual environment here that can't Types of love, types of forgiveness, types of spiritual growth, types of community that looks nothing else like that you would find anywhere else. A genuine authenticity. This is what the church So that we can take what is growing here in this community and plant it out into our workplace. Plant it out into our communities. Plant it out into our families' lives. Plant it out into our offices. So wherever we go, we are taking what God has been growing in this community out. And if it's going to do that, it has to be strong. There has to be a strong community here with things of the spirit that are growing so that when we take it out, they continue to grow in the harsh environment of the city that does not love Jesus. Some of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian pastor who lived in the early 1900s, and he was 33 when the Second World War kicked off he was part of what is then the the confessing church in Germany and he was increasingly, even before the Second World War started, upset um, with his own church denomination because of the compromise that he saw with the Nazi party overtaking the church and controlling the church and he felt the church was continuing to compromise and not standing up for God's word and for Jesus and so became an outspoken uh, opponent of Hitler and he was active in the resistance against the Nazi party. He was hounded for most of his adult life. He was banned from town after city after town after city. He was a wanted man for a lot of his adult life. And yet it's amazing when you read his life because if if it were me, I was thinking second world war's on. I'd like guys, let's keep a let's keep a low profile. Let's just get through the war. Once the war's over, then let's get on with like church and stuff. But until then, we'll just I don't know. We'll just take a pause, a break, and then I'm sure God doesn't mind because he he went the opposite. The war was on, and he decided that this was a time to start underground training centres for pastors, so that there would be people who would be true to Jesus, true to the word in. Nazi Germany, and it was tough. And there's this this town. I'm going to get it wrong. A town called Finkenwald. I think that's how you say it. Where he set up one of these underground seminaries to train pastors in the Word of God. And he had a friend come to him and visit him one time. And he said, basically, had a quiet word with him and and said, as friends sometimes do, if you're passionately pursuing Jesus, he said, do you think this is a bit too much? You ever had someone say that to you? You're pursuing Jesus with your whole heart. And someone who is well-meaning just says to you, do you you think you're taking this too far? And someone said, do you think you're taking this too far? And he took his friend apparently and one other and they they went across a few fields up to the brow of this hill and he pointed over some fields into the distance where there was a Nazi training camp. And he pointed back at the seminary and he says, this has got to be stronger than that. He knew that the community values that were being implanted in this seminary had to be strong. Not only that, but stronger than the antagonistic culture of the Nazi party of his time. And what happens here has to be stronger than the culture of London otherwise what will happen is every time we scatter from this place into our mission field, into our workplace we will just blend in again and make no difference what happens here has to be stronger than what happens the kind of authenticity that we live with has to be stronger than the kind of duplicity that we might find ourselves up against in our uh, offices The kind of generosity that we live with back and forth giving to one another has to be stronger than the me first life where everyone says it's my career first and my money. The kind of wholehearted we are all in as a community has to be stronger than the whatever kind of like I'll just do whatever I feel like today mentality of our city. This has to be stronger than that. Which means we are going to have to link our spirituality as a community with a morality around God's Word and who He is and who He has revealed Himself to be. Amen? So this is where we're at. And it's important because what we're building here is not just a service. It's important. What we are building here is not just a Sunday thing. So if someone asks you, what what is Trinity Church London? The first and foremost thing, I would not describe us as a service on a Sunday. We're a community where God dwells. They gather on a Sunday, and we gather in pockets around London, and we scatter for the rest of the week to be missionaries for Jesus, to let people know that God is alive in Jesus Christ, and he has a plan for London, and it's good, no matter what you think. He has a good plan. So we're building a community. So it it has to be strong. And what it means is we have to do a Nehemiah 9 and 10 and cultivate and guard the culture of our community. Because what had happened in Nehemiah's day is that over decades and generations and then some hundreds of years, what had started as a zealous purity around God as a community had began to be eroded and compromised to the point where they looked exactly the same as other nations. And so Nehemiah 9 and 10 is this moment where the the leaders of the community call them back through prayer and through this covenant to say, we are going to come back to God and we are going to. live as as different people so they needed to guard the community they needed to cultivate what was actually happening amongst them and the same that we do in acts 20 paul when he leaves the church in ephesus he says this to the leaders he says pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the holy spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of god which he obtained with his own blood Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. You need to guard the culture of what is happening in your heart. What is happening in your heart may not be neutral right now. You may need to do some guarding and some cultivating and some removing of weeds from your heart. Because you can become someone who you never wanted to be in five years because you didn't weed out something that was quietly growing in your heart today guarding and cultivation has to happen in our hearts and as a community and this is what we have in this moment so what i want to do is just walk through three steps of what it looks like to guard and cultivate this community here as trinity church london amen The first one's super quick. The second one's quite long. The second one's medium quick, okay? The first one is this. You do a Nehemiah 8, you read God's word. Simple, that was two weeks ago. You read God's word. Sorry, one week ago, read God's word. That's it, You, you open the book, you release the power of God's word into your life and into our life as a community. Listen on YouTube to last week if you haven't heard that, that's point one. Point two is respond and repent around God's word. So you respond and you repent around what God has said. So God's people hear God's word in chapter eight. And then we have this long prayer, which is a confession to God of the ways in which their people throughout the generations have sinned against God and not lived up to this glorious life that he lets out. So Nehemiah 9, 2, the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And this is probably just a, a, um, a precy of all the prayers that were prayed. And it's this incredible Old Testament historical theology of all that God's people did, mostly sinful, faithless living, before a faithful God. And we read in nine sixteen, they and our forefathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they, were stiff, they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to, to return to their slavery in Egypt. Verse 18, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. you imagine the insult that God had to deal with with God's people? He has done everything to rescue them from slavery into Egypt. And then he took Moses away for a 40-day meeting. And in f- it took them 40 days, less than 40 days, it took them less than 40 days to decide that God's abandoned us, where is God? He's not looking after us, let's all burn our jewelry and make this fake God, this calf, and let's say that this is the God that took us out, like you the kind like they had God visit them with a pillar of fire and yet after like 30 days they were like oh God's abandoned us, like where is he? here's a, oh this, you, yeah, you rest like this is the, and we laugh but aren't we so prone to do it? Like we have this amazing breakthrough on a Friday and by like Sunday morning because we feel like a bit tired like God where are you in my life? What have you done, you know? And th- this is how we live and this is the people of Israel continually faithless before a faithful God I mean it goes on and on I could read a lot of verses here 26 nevertheless they were disobedient and rebelled against you 29 they acted presumptuously and did not you get the idea they hear God's Word and their first response is to confess their sin to God and say Lord we have wronged you the funny thing is you can think at some times that you are not wronging God you can think you're walking through a season of life and you think I'm just doing my life I was reflecting on this thinking of my teenage life and maybe let me help you. I'm kind of a preacher, so I'm like making you reflect on your teenage life as well. But those moments when as a teenager, you kind of just thought you were being a teenager, And you're like, I'm just living my life. And as a teenager, your parents are basically the people who tell you that you can't do what you want to do or you can do what you can do. Like that's kind of their fight. It feels like that as a teen. Especially young teens, you're like, oh, they said I can do what I want to do. Great. I can't do what I want to do. Huh. Right. And then you go, you grow up, and I don't know at some point, like maybe in your twenties or when you have a kid or something, something happens. Like, and I've had it in my life, like, oh, it wasn't just me being me, I actually wronged my parents. Like my actual attitude was bad. Like they, wouldn't, they weren't just being mean to me, like they were loving me and I responded badly. This is where the people of Israel are, they had no idea and they have this sudden awakening, they realize, oh my goodness, we have wronged God. We thought we were just being sensible at the time and doing our life. We, we thought the golden calf thing, that was like, we're just fi- finding a way through here. But suddenly they're awakened in the light of the word of God. wronged him, And so they repent. Sometimes Christians think that repentance is like a one-off act that happens when you become a Christian. Like, I'm going to get baptized, so I repent. And that's it. I've like, turned from that life. I'm going to follow this life. But actually repentance, which is just a 180 turning of this to that, to follow Jesus, is something that happens throughout our whole life. Martin Luther, who was the the key uh, player in the the, uh, the, the Reformation that happened in the 1500s, I mean, he was a a bold kind of guy. He was a a German Catholic monk. Monk, not a munch. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Um, He was a Catholic monk that got increasingly frustrated with the corruption that he saw in the Catholic Church at the time. And he wrote 95 points of contention with his church. Like, if you've got 95 points of contention with Trinity Church, like, do not email them. I will delete it straight away. talk to Richard or someone like I'm sure he wants to hear about it but Martin Luther he he like he, he had a lot of issues because people were like priests were selling prayers basically like if, if, if you want me to pray for your dead aunt if you give me enough money I will pray things like that was, like totally corrupt so he, he nailed these 95 pieces of contention to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral and the first piece of contention he had was this he said our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance So not hey, I repented once when I was 19. That's done me. I can just carry on however I like now. He says, "No, your whole life is to be marked by repentance," which could sound depressing. You're like, you mean like every day I've got to expect I get it wrong and have to repent, like. Actually, the repentance is the way that you continue to grow in godliness. It's the way that you continue to reorientate your life around Jesus. Let me submit this to you, that what we have just done for the first 30 minutes of our service is actually a form of repentance communally. That we gather around truth around Jesus. We gather around the person of Jesus and we sing praises to him. And what happens in that moment? The kind of priorities that you may have accumulated through the week. I don't know about your heart, but sometimes I can feel like the wrong priorities kind of gather around my heart like moss and it feels like I'm walking through life and these wrong priorities just begin to creep in. I love Jesus, I'm following him, but suddenly I feel this like, ah, but what about that? And what about this? And suddenly I gather together with my friends and my family and I lift my heart to Jesus and suddenly it's like repentance is happening. I realize again, God, you are the most important being in all the universe. It's repentance. Again, it's just a reorientating my life again and again around Jesus. My life it feels like is like this. I love Lord, I love you. I'm following you. I want to walk with you, Jesus. Oh, what's that? I can oh uh, I'll be one second Jesus I am following you but I'm just going to like just have a look at what this thing is it's an update I have to look at it I have to check it out it's shiny and I go for this and suddenly before like I'm, I'm thinking way more about these things I'm way more concerned if I'm going to get that or not than actually following Jesus like, oh sorry Jesus I get back to a Sunday like oh, you are like and I'm walking with Jesus and then you suddenly notice something else and something else gather your attention like I'll be with you in a moment and you it's this whole process of like following Jesus getting slight distracted. For, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. And that's all repentances. So if you're looking at me blankly, like think about it in your heart, because I know I'm not the only one. Don't leave me hanging. This is how we live our life. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Don't, like, we're, we're like this, aren't we? Yes. Like we say, like I'm all out for you, and you may be, but what happens? Like by Sunday afternoon, you're like, oh, what's going on over here? And suddenly, like the, everything, and you're okay, like, I'm with you, Jesus. That's what happens every morning when I open the Bible, it's me repenting it's like lord i don't like even over the night all the things i don't know what i'm accumulating in my heart things that are beginning to rise as priorities. i open the power of god and suddenly my i repent like jesus you are everything to me i'm giving you everything repentance is something we do throughout our whole life together and as individuals and what happens here in this in these two chapters is Something interesting, it's going to get awkward for a few minutes, so your pleasure, my pleasure, whatever, not your pleasure. Um, two specific things begin to arise. Because when you get into the presence of a holy God, what can sometimes happen is that he begins just to put his holy finger on some aspects of your life. You ever had that moment, and you're like, you're worshipping Jesus, and everything's a great time, and suddenly this thing comes into your mind, like... Oh no and you know that feeling like I'm gonna have to deal with this like if I'm gonna keep worshipping because God is a holy God and you know you're gonna have to confess it you're gonna have to say sorry you might even have to talk to someone like you're gonna have to do something what happens here is that God puts his finger on two particular things for the community at this stage And they deal with it. And in their covenant in chapter 10, they write out this covenant and say, Lord, we are not going to fall for this again. We are going to covenant ourselves with you to live for you. And the two things revolve around sex and marriage and money. Not a lot changes, does it? This was is an issue 2,000 years ago. It's an issue today. I would guess in 2,000 years ago, these are still going to be issues. So we're going to talk about sex and money for the next 10 minutes. okay? All right let take let 's make it five, because you didn 't seem too pleased about that. <laughs> OK. Firstly, around sex and marriage. It says 10 verse 28, the rest of the people. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, a servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons basically, and it comes up again later in Nehemiah, they covenant not to intermarry with the other nations that are around them. You get this odd moment in 9 verse 2, so the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners. And that can sound really weird to us, because like, why would you think, like, is this kind of like some ethnic thing that's going on? Is this like some underhanded racist moment where they're saying, actually, we're better than all the other nations? Actually, what it is, is that the God's people had a, ceremonial law that they had to live under at this point ways in which they would eat, ways in which they would do their rest, ways in which they would do their family life, ways in which they would conduct their business that marked them out from the other people So this wasn't to do with racism, this was to do with their moral living before God, because any sensible person who's been in any relationship will know this. If you've got someone who's trying to live by a strict moral code, who gets married to someone who has no concern for that code, at some point there is going to be tension at best, stroke arguments, and that will eventually lead to compromise in the one who is trying to uphold the ceremonial law imagine the amount after year after year of discussions about how we're going to do holidays how we're going to do shabbat rest how we're going to eat our meals etc at some point compromise is going to creep in and this is what happened and they come back and they say god we are going to give ourselves wholly to you we are going to pursue relationships that stir our hearts to you not lead to compromise amen and this is for us if you're seeking someone who's going to be a life partner seek someone who is going to stir your heart for the thing that is the main thing in your life because you can marry someone who becomes a someone who leads to compromise in your life you thought no no it'd be fine and actually you make a choice that leads you to somewhere where you didn't want to be that's the first thing told you was going to get awkward the second thing is this money Let me read that. I'm not going to read all of these verses, but let me just read these things. Verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So this is them. they had obviously at some point began to trade on their Sabbath day when God said don't. Why would you trade on a Sabbath day? Why would you work all week long? You would work all week long if money was your God, if your career was your God, if the accumulation of things was actually the most important thing to you. By resting for one day and saying, I'm not gonna touch an email, they were saying, I am reorientating my life around God. I may lose out this month financially, but God is the one who is my God. And they come back and they reinstate their tithe back to the temple and the Levites. They had been forgetting to tithe, to give a tenth of their money to the Levites for the upholding of the worship of God in the temple. And they come back and covenant with their money and say, Lord, we are going to realign our bank accounts with our hearts. It is not possible to worship God with your heart if your bank account does not also get realigned around God's priorities. Your bank account is actually one of the best accountability partners you have. So if you want to really know, like, how is my life doing? How is my heart doing? The best place to go is your bank account. Tim Keller, a pastor in America, he said, your money flows most easily to to the thing that you most love. The thing that you like keep spending money on is actually the thing that you really love. so what we have here is in covenanting to say we are gonna come back and realign our finances with our heart and our worship of you. So let me put this to you as a church. Like, how is your finance right now? Where is your finance going? Where is it being aligned to? Does, if you look through your last few months of bank accounts, would it say, these guys love God's people and love God? Or does it say something else about you? Amen. Ah, that was difficult. I oh, know. <laughs> Thanks, Cindy. We've got to reflect on these. Here's the reality. I think in both of these matters and in many others, we would confess that we have sinned. Amen. We've been faithless. And what we have as a third way of cultivating a community in our own hearts is reminding ourselves that God is faithful to all of his promises amen john newton who was a pastor he ended up being a pastor. he was involved in the slave trade had a was in the middle of a horrendous storm <coughs> prayed out to god came back to god he wrote amazing grace which we all know towards the end of his life he would often say this my memory failing but there are two things that i know i'm a great sinner and i have a great savior And this is how they land, because this prayer is filled not just with the faithlessness of God's people, but with the greatness of God's salvation. Let me just read. I'm not going to read all of it. Just some of the things that God is for us. He is the creator of the heaven and earth, the earth and the seas. He preserves his creation day by day. He is the Lord. He chose Abraham at his initiative, not because of Abraham's godliness. He is a covenant making and keeping God. He is a God who keeps his promises. He is the righteous God. He is the compassionate God. He listens to his people when they pray to him. He performs signs and wonders to lead us, his people. He makes a name for himself. He intervenes with miracles. He leads his people. He speaks from heaven. He gives his people the right rules, true laws that will lead to life. He provides his people with food, even when they're undeserving. He gives us his people, his Holy Spirit. He is ready to forgive. He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He never forsakes his people. He never forsakes his people. Some of you need to hear that today. He never forsakes his people. He is great in mercy. He provides over and above all that is needed. He fulfills his promises. He gives saviors to help us. He delivers his people from the enemies. He warns us back. He bears with us. He does not make an end for them or forsake them. He keeps covenant and steadfast love. He is righteous in all that he gives them. He deals with his people faithfully. His goodness is great and he gives good gifts to all of his people to enjoy amen amen. this is the god that we serve 2 timothy 2 13 says if we are faithless he remains faithful and this is the promise here that they are coming back in covenant to a god who is always been faithful to them he had never left So how do we cult a life in the community with God? We always come back to a God who has never left us. Many commentators say that potentially the central (coughs) theological point of Nehemiah is Nehemiah 9, verse eight. You have kept your promise, for you are righteous. You have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And it was remembered in this moment where all of God's people gathered together back in the city under this spiritual awakening the sad reality is with all the covenants made the people drift again like you and like me but god is faithful amen And he is true to his word, so true to his word that he steps down into human history in Jesus Christ to finally keep his promise. And he says, I am going to gather in all of my people in my son, Jesus Christ. And he dies on a cross for all of our sins so that everyone may finally, from all the four corners of the earth, gather to him in local communities at this time, but around the world in the billions right now, gather all of God's people to himself as he has promised and that we might find forgiveness in a faithful God and in Jesus Christ all the promises are yes and amen amen so this is what we're going to do as we respond I'm just going to ask the band to come back up and they're going to lead us and I want us to take a moment to pause and reflect on our own life just to think for a moment, you might want to just close your eyes in this moment, just to think and reflect, are there areas of your life that you know the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger on? Are there aspects of your life where you know your conscience is rattled, that you need to deal with? Are there areas of your life that you know you need to repent of, you need to realign your life? It might be your bank account and your giving. It might be relationships that you are in, relationships that you are pursuing. It might be stuff you're looking at on your phone. It might be the way you're behaving in the workplace. The Holy Spirit will lead you to this, not to bring you into depression, but to bring you into life because he wants to bring you to a faithful God. So this is what we're going to do as we come and respond to God. We're going to worship And then Fiona is going to lead us around the Lord's Supper. And as we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to remind ourselves that God is faithful to forgive us and gather in his people. Amen. Let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the community that you are forming here amongst us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are holy and that you lead us into life. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you that we can repent. Thank you that we can leave our old life again and again and again and come back to one who will always welcome us with arms wide open. And bless us now. Reassure us in our faith as we gather around the bread and the wine. In Jesus' name.